0: You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post.
1: Hello, and welcome to a special Lunar New Year holiday edition of the China Jerry Politics Podcast. And yes, these are not the dulcet tones of Finbar, Birmingham. I'm Jared Watt, the producer and editor of podcasts here at the South China Morning Post. This week, Finbar and the team are enjoying a well-earned break. A New Year's staycation here in Hong Kong, if you will. But with the announcement of the new Director General of the World Trade Organization, we've got a special recap from an episode we did last year for you to listen to, just in case you missed it. You're about to hear Finbar speaking with Ngozi Okonjo-Iweala, back in August when she was one of two candidates for the position of Director General of the World Trade Organization. It's a fascinating conversation and still very relevant, talking about her vision for the WTO regarding COVID-19 vaccines, US-China trade, and exactly what reforms she thinks are needed for this organisation to be truly effective. So here's Finbar giving you the background for the woman who is the new Director General of the World Trade Organisation, Ngozi okonjo iweala she comes
0: with real diplomatic multilateral pedigree having twice served as Nigerian finance minister and spent many years in senior roles at the World Bank. Currently, she is the board chair for the Global Alliance for Vaccines and Immunization. And we were very pleased to have a Zoom call with her back in August to discuss her plans for reform. First off, I asked her about how the WTO can help in resolving the US-China trade war.
2: I think the issue is is uh, the issue of trust between the members, be it the bigger powers, US, China, or uh, or developed and developing countries. And I think as long as you have that, the divide, uh, you know, you have this divide. So the question to ask is, how did this happen? But more importantly, how can you rebuild the trust so you can begin to bridge uh, the divide? Um, So I think that uh, uh, as DG, um, I want to look at things in a slightly different fashion, and and that is to look at where there may be uh, commonalities or areas of agreement. You know, everybody is looking at the Gulf and how big it is and how distant members are from one another. But in some instances, they're actually doing things together, and that's what is promising. My approach would be to look for those positive areas to build on it you know, and to build incrementally to build trust. Building trust is not something you talk about. You have to build confidence. And that actually means doing certain things concretely. And I think that's what's needed to say, what are the areas the US and China actually are doing something in common? How can we make that succeed? And therefore, how can that build further trust uh, for them to do more and build up incrementally? So specifically, yeah, even though people talk of this U.S.-China divide, for the WTO, U.S. and China are both parties to the fisheries ongoing fisheries subsidies negotiations right now. They are still around the same table, and and you know both of them have an interest in seeing this multilateral negotiations, which is one of the few since uh, the WTO started. They have an interest in seeing it succeed. So that's what I mean concretely that. Were I to become DG, this would be a top priority for me to see how this can end, have an outcome that is positive so that when you get to the ministerial in June, this is something that can be put on the table uh, to concretely not negotiating anymore, but implement, talking about how to implement. Do you add this to existing schedules? Do you have a new agreement? How do we move forward on implementation so the WTO can come out with something positive that can say to the world, the WTO has turned the corner, it's doing something positively. And by the way, all the members, even those who seemingly have problems, uh, are party to this.
0: So do you see that as a gateway, something to build on? Or do you see the fisheries agreement and stuff like that as a means to an end in themselves?
2: Both. It's good to have a fisheries subsidies agreement because it delivers two things. Uh, It it will renew our fishing stocks in our oceans. And by the way, it will deliver biodiversity and sustainability. So for that, it's an end in itself, SDG 14.6. But it's also a means to an end for me. And And the means is to show that the WTO can actually get all members around something positive and deliver it. So I also see it as a way of moving. Once you've got that, you know, it does make a difference when you put a win on the table, as well as a disagreement on the table. And so for me, top priority as a DG coming in would be to get a successful uh, uh, MC-12 with a successful fisheries outcome. Then from there, you can go to tackle some other issues. Let's take the dispute uh, resolution system, which is a big one, Uh, uh, you know, not having one that works damages the credibility of the WTO. So it is one of the urgent things to tackle. But there's one interesting thing. I think all parties want a dispute resolution mechanism or system, they do. The US wants it, China wants it, the EU wants it, every member wants it. And to me, that's already a beginning that there's something they all want in common. So they want it in different ways. The US may be thinking, you know, let's go back to the GATS one panel system, or, you know, uh, China and the others may be saying, You know, we also like the two-tier system and the appellate body, but they all want it. And to me, that's a big signal that this is something that can be done and we'll do it. So you would then find ways to look at what is it that really the dissent that the U.S., for instance, has. Let's take each item by item and see if we can solve it and if we can come to a resolution. That's the way I would go about it. But you see, what I'm doing is not coming in and saying, no, disaster, everything, they don't agree on anything. I'm doing the opposite. That's the mindset with which I came to this job. I'm coming to the job and I'm saying, where do they actually agree on something? And therefore, how can we build on it? And that's the way I'm going to approach us, DGWTO.
0: So the message you're getting out here, if I'm right, is rather than looking for a savior of the WTO, people should be managing their expectations. We shouldn't really expect a revolution.
2: I mean, you can expect changes. I don't like to use the word revolution. Let me tell you what I think. I think that, look, the WTO is at a juncture where it needs leadership. That is what it needs. And it needs someone with experience. It needs managerial acumen. It needs a reformer. And someone willing to be bold and take on issues. Now, you need that. You need a leader. It doesn't need a technical negotiating uh, uh, person because you've got plenty of them and the problems are still there. So I think you need a leader who will take on these problems, but the methodology by which the problems are solved, each one may be different. So you can't have, there's no one approach to any of these issues because you've got to plumb deeper and find out what is the problem, you know, and then try to approach it. But there's one thing my style will be completely different by looking at the positives. I'm building on the positive. Sometimes that may yield you a big change. At other times it may mean incremental change that will lead you to the answer. So that there's no one methodology. For instance, the issue of COVID-19, right? This is an issue that at the ministerial, I would really be looking to put down for WTO to seize it as an opportunity to put down markers to solve a problem that the world is confronting right now. And maybe I'm saying it because I'm the only candidate who is working in the vaccine pillar. I'm I'm a WHO envoy, I'm a AU envoy to to (laughs) both COVID-19. And we are working on this ACT Tools Accelerator, the international effort to try and get, accelerate the availability of therapeutics, diagnostics and vaccines. And as chair of Gavi, I'm particularly involved in the vaccine spiller. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at maybe one vaccine, maybe several. But the key issue we're trying to solve there is how do we get these vaccines in a way that poorer countries are not standing behind, mm-hmm. but that they can be accessed based on some allocation criteria. But that also speaks to trade and the rules. Because at the end of the day, moving vaccines is also trading them. You know, what are the rules that govern that? 90 countries also have export restrictions right now, medical supplies and equipment, even on food, because of fear of what COVID will bring. How does the WTO respond to that? Are countries responding to the rules that it has in this respect? The articles in the GATT, the TRIPS, I think is Article 27, the GATT, mm-hmm. I, I can look up the articles 11 or 12. You know, there are specific yeah. articles governing this. Are they being applied? Did countries notify? Are the restrictions temporary, transparent, and and not, and, uh, and proportionate? If not, how does the WTO enforce those rules among its yeah. members? So does it need new rules?
0: Well, I think most people would probably agree that the global trading system should be a force for preventing and and handling coronavirus. Uh, So do you think that the WTO under current administration is lacking this sort of leadership? I mean, why hasn't the WTO been front and centre during the pandemic with vaccinations, PPE, medicines and all that stuff?
2: Well, I cannot comment on the leadership of the person leading. And I'll be very honest about that. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's my place to comment on that, so I will not. Because if I were there, I wouldn't want people to, you know, if you're coming in, focus on what you are going to do. I'm just telling you that the challenges I I see now will not be solved by the status quo. It will not be solved by more of the same. It will not be solved by business as usual. It has to be an unusual DG that is coming. And that's what I'm offering. I'm saying, look, you know, I'm, I'm unusual, in the sense that I am somebody who combines trade with economic knowledge. I'm a a development economist, and you know you cannot do that. 30 years of my career. Trade is an instrument within the development economics arsenal to achieve something, which is to enrich the lives of people. So this is what you do, Um, but you need to place it in the larger context of development and, and understand that. So you need someone who can take on these issues in, in a bolder fashion, you need a DG. The DG has no direct power, but the DG has what I call soft power. And that soft power can be exercised proactively to help solve problems. Mm-hmm. And that's linked to what I mean by leadership. So cert- certainly there are problems you can take a leading role in to solve. And I can give you specific, some specific examples of some things that the DG could do Uh, you know, to support members to move things uh, along and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and make it work better.
0: I wonder on the campaign trail, how has this sort of thing gone down? Have you gotten a sense that ambassadors and delegations are hungry for the sort of reform you're describing?
2: I sense a lot of appetite. I really do. When I speak to ministers, I think I sense even more appetite from their part. And and if the WTO does not uh, ch- something doesn't happen to change it, I think that will be very sad because I sense enormous appetite. This is the moment where it is you can't have more of the same. You you you. And I come back to it. I'm somebody who is different. I I come with a pair of fresh eyes. I come with a, 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 I come with a CV that shows I've done reform. I've actually written two books about it, mm-hmm. and those reforms were bold. Uh, you know, they, they were courageous, if you allow me to say so. In one case, my mother was kidnapped and I still went, kept going when we were doing reforms on corruption. So I'm not someone who is talking about it. So when I talk, I sense appetite for this. But I think they are looking for someone who can do it. And I'm praying they will make the right choice mm. and they will not choose more of the same or what they've had before, because that will not solve WTO's problems.
0: Of course, there, there are plenty of vested interests at the WTO. Perhaps many, perhaps not all of the members want to have reform. Are you happy enough to plough on with this agenda regardless and to ruffle a few feathers in the process if need be?
2: I, I'm, I'm, you know, my track record is not being afraid to take on challenges. You can check it any which way you want. And I think that's what WTO needs now. And you can take on these challenges, you can fight vested interests and still get things done. Because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, vested interests will come to respect what you're trying to do because you're trying to deliver for the better good. Or if they don't respect it, they can stand to the side and let you get on with what needs to, to, to be done. I think what I'm saying is that the majority of members seem to want this difference. And that's why I am hopeful that they will choose the difference, mm-hmm. uh, because they won't change. You know, uh, it may not be revolution, but definitely it is reform. It is a different way of moving the WTO forward. It cannot continue the paralysis that you see or the dysfunction that people... These are all words used by people, and to me it's horrifying, because... When I started as a development economist at the World Bank over my career, the WTO was regarded with the utmost, um, what should I say, respect, but also as a top multilateral. But what are the words that you hear about WTO now? Dysfunction, paralyzed, doesn't do anything, irrelevant. I mean, I even had... One, one TV uh, uh, and radio anchor asked me, why are you even applying for this job for an organization which is irrelevant? And I was really taken aback. That was like, and I'm like, what? It's not irrelevant. That's why I'm applying. It's very relevant. But, you know, I find that very distressing because, it, as I said in my speech to the general counsel, if the WTO did not exist, you would have to invent it because we need some, some organization that can underpin the trading system mm-hmm. in a predictable and stable way. And developing countries need it even the most. Mm-hmm. So the fact that it been described in this way must change. Yeah. It must, and that, that may be the revolution. That may be the revolution. <laughs> the fact that we change this image, we stop this dysfunction, that is my objective, that's my vision. If I get to this job, that's what I'm going to deliver. It will be that within two years of my being there, this WTO, the image will change because it will be doing things and delivering things. And I'll tell you one, on e-commerce, we have a plurilateral negotiation ongoing right now. But the digital economy is so important. So this pandemic, it was already a trend. The pandemic has really accelerated it. And we know that that's going to be the wave of the future but the rules to underpin this are not yet in place. So it's like, let's hurry. But even in the plurilateral, you know not all members are taking part. And you listen to the members, a lot of developing countries uh, are not taking part in it for, for several reasons. One, some of them said, "This is if I go and take part, I don't even have the infrastructure, that's the famous digital divide. I don't have the regulatory framework within which to govern this. I don't have the resources to put it in place. If I go there and start making commitments with this asymmetry of knowledge, I may end up, how come I did this? So why can't we tackle that? To tackle that you need to actually invoke the Marrakesh decision, which said, you know, to bring WTO should work with other multilaterals to try and solve problems. And that's why I think WTO needs someone who sees the WTO issues also in a larger context, because mm-hmm. that's how I see it. I would pull in the Asian Infrastructure Bank, the World Bank Group, African Development Bank. With These are all my colleagues. We would sit down and we would say, what do we need to do? The WTO is not a funding agency, so they can bring resources. They can bring expertise and WTO can add what it has from the aid to trade and so on. And we can show these countries, here is a package to help you deal with this problem. So can you join now? And that might build the confidence for them to join. That's a proactive DG.
0: Move on to subsidies. Some influential WTO members have serious concerns about industrial subsidies, particularly with regard to China. Uh, While there are developing members, of course, who would point to the agricultural subsidies that are in the US and the European Union, is this something that you would try to propose um, reform on in the first few months if you were to be successful in getting the job?
2: I think that the subsidies issue is one of the most challenging and one of the most divisive. And I think this will need much more work. Whereas I see quickly some victories in things like COVID-19 that can make the WTO look good and seize an opportunity, whereas I even see it in the dispute settlement system, believe it or not. In subsidies, it's fraught. I think that as an incoming, you see the thing with subsidies is that members have drawn red lines, they've made linkages. So my approach would be to say, let's put all issues, maybe we start with uh, domestic, let me just use agricultural subsidies for instance, where the developing countries feel that, you know, the aggregate measurement of uh, of uh, support beyond the minimum should be eliminated because it gives an undue advantage, but developed countries are pointing to Article 6.2 and saying, well, you know, you have uh, the ad- advantage of being able to subsidize your resource poor farmers and even those, uh, 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 um, you know, even big economies you know if if you apply the percentage they have to their agriculture is so large now that you are also talking of large numbers so you have this back and forth and then this one says i really don't want to talk about it unless this happens and so i would say let's put all issues mm-hmm. of domestic support on agriculture on the table let's start afresh and look at these issues no red lines No linkages so that we can look at it. I'm just taking one set. Now, that approach will take time. It will take a work program. So what I would like to see is, you know, let's try to develop a work program in this area. I don't think it's anything that one can deliver anytime soon because one of the things that is hardest in life is once you have an aki, you know, getting people away from it is very, very difficult. But because we need to make some progress on these issues, I think that, you know, a work program that can generate at least a dialogue, uh, um, you know, that is constructive would be a good way to begin. That's what I'd try to deliver uh, if I comment on that issue. But that is not going to be an issue that one can solve in any quick time.
1: Thanks for listening to this special edition of the China Politics Podcast. We'll be back to normal programming next week with Finbar, Joe Chin, John Carter and the team from the South China Morning Post. If you're listening in iTunes, please take a moment to rate and review us. It really does help us get noticed in the ocean of new podcasts coming out of the United States. But whichever platform you're on, thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing these episodes. And remember, you can always find the latest news from China, about China and breaking news stories from around the world via the 24-hour coverage at scmp.com. Until next week, stay safe. Bye for now.
2: For more podcasts from the South China Morning Post, head to scmp.com, where you can hear more about technology, trade, culture, and society.